we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. We have always thought of desire in terms of fulfillment, achieving, gaining, and getting rich, inwardly or outwardly. Hello and welcome to episode 119 of Urgency of Change. Season 3 of the Krishnamurti podcast continues with the format of carefully chosen extracts from the philosopher's talks. Each weekly episode focuses on a theme explored by Krishnamurti, and the aim is to represent his different approaches to these universal topics. This week's theme is fulfilment. Upcoming themes are health, Krishnamurti, and the psyche. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit our official YouTube channels for hundreds of advert-free video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks and clips. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on fulfilment has five sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth talk in Sanan, 1966, titled Is There Such Thing as Fulfilment? I want pleasure of different kinds. And I know, because I'm fairly intelligent, that it's going to bring pain. And I'm afraid of pain, but yet my mind wants constant pleasure. It's like a man who wants to fulfil himself through books, through literature, through painting, through music. He wants to be somebody. And he knows in that very desire to fulfil there is pain, agony, distress, fear and all the rest of it. And yet he wants to fulfil. So what is one to do? One has to inquire not how to be free of fear of pain, but whether there is such thing as fulfilment. You understand? Whether there is such thing as constant pleasure. You, huh? You understand my? You understand my question, sir? Not how to be <coughs> free of pain, 
demanding pleasure, but whether in pleasure itself there is not pain. You understand my question? Right? Have you understood my question, sir? No. <laughs> Look, sir, I want to fulfil, because it's a tremendous pleasure. I want to be known, I want to be famous, as a musician, as a writer, as what you will, because in that fulfilment there is great pleasure, because I shall be known, my name will be in the papers and all that silly rot. It gives me tremendous pleasure. I don't call it silly rot. So, I try to fulfil, and there's somebody always better than me, somebody more, a greater writer, greater musician, and in that there is competition, there is pain. I have to, I have to play up to people, I have to be a hypocrite, I have to do all kinds of ugly things. All that brings pain. So I want to fulfil, in that fulfilment there is a pleasure, and at the same time I want to avoid pain. So what I have to inquire is, what am I fulfilling? What do, you follow? What, what am I doing? I know the whole world <coughs> worships success. You have money, you have a position, you have prestige, you can, you know, you are somebody. Fame. And you say to yourself, is what? I know it is very pleasurable to be known to a lot of uh, newspaper readers. It gives me, you know, all the rest of it, but what? Is there such thing as fulfilment? And what am I fulfilling? And why do I want to fulfil? You are following all this? I want to fulfil, become famous, because inwardly I am nothing. I am empty, I am lonely, I am a miserable creature. And I put on all the feathers of fame because I have a little technique with a violin or with a piano or with a pen. So I am escaping from that emptiness, from that loneliness, from that everlasting self-activity and boredom in fulfilling, because I have a little technique. And therefore, fulfilment is an escape from the fact of what I am. Right? And can I 
resolve what I am. This ugliness, this emptiness, this self-centred activity with all its neurotic disease and demands. And when I can resolve that, I don't care whether I am famous, not famous, fulfilling, not fulfilling. One is beyond all that stupid stuff. Then, pleasure, thought, pain have a totally different meaning. One is beyond it. The second extract is from the seventh talk in London, 1961, titled The Search for Fulfillment. I think one can see very clearly that every form of disciplining, controlling, suppressing, or finding a substitute or sublimating perverts the the beauty of desire and therefore makes the mind and the heart hard, incapable of being young, swift, I think that must be clearly perceived. And is it possible, trained in a society whose values are acquisitive, whose religious dogmas and beliefs entail every form of twisting, suppressing desire. Desire obviously means comparison. And comparison, if one goes into it more deeply, leads to this desire for power. And, you see, we talk a great deal about peace and love and all that stuff. Every politician all throughout the world everlastingly talking about this. His God, his peace and his love. And can a mind that has not understood the whole significance of desire 
Can it know what love is? And when desire is considered evil, the monasteries are filled with such people. All the religious uh, people are holding on to themselves not to have any more desires. Or at least have one desire for God or for Jesus or somebody. Can such mind see the the immensity of the thing that world we call love? sees the significance of all suppression, and therefore there is no longer suppressing or the urge to suppress or to transmute and all the rest of it, then what is one to do with the desire? It's there, burning, trying to fulfill, trying to speed ahead. Identified with the big cars and the big houses and all the rest of it. Is there? What is what to do? I wonder if we ever ask ourselves that question. Or we are so used to control it, to shape it, to curve it, to give a balance to it, or to approximate it with something else, which is comparison. So we never, can we ever stop that process? And it is only then one can ask, what is one to do with desire? I don't know if you you get to that point, if you got to that point. Which means really, can one live in this world without ambition? Fear that if one, if there was no ambition, one would just fade away. (coughs) 
So, do put yourself, if I may suggest this question, when do you ask this question, what to do with desire? Must you go through all forms of fulfilment with their frustrations and their miseries and fears, guilt and anxiety? And then only you will put that question. Or you may put that question only, or perhaps you will never put that question, but only suppress it all the time. Because that has not given you happiness, position, prestige, or whatever it is. So you turn in another direction, the outward expression of it and the inward expression. When one is nobody in this silly, Rocking world, you turn inward. But when you are riding this wave, you never put that question. And I think it is important, not only outwardly, for the well-being of society. I would sorry, I must withdraw that. Society is always corrupt. There's always the seed of destruction and deterioration in it. So you can't better society. You can perhaps gild the cage. But for a mind that really wants to find out, for a mind that is really inquiring, that wants to find out if there is such thing as God and something with beyond all words, one must understand this thing called desire. Is it right to be desireless? To be without desire. And if you kill desire, that is, kill all feeling, desire is part of, feeling is part of desire. If you kill desire, there is no feeling. Feeling with all its extraordinary sense of, you know, sensitivity. In that sensitivity, everything is in all qualities are included. So, 
If one has gone into this question of the implications of suppression, and therefore no longer suppressing, actually it's not suppressing, not merely verbally mesmerizing yourself that you're not suppressing. Or substituting, or you know, doing all kinds of things around it and in it. If you have gone that far and actually are not died, are not doing it, which is quite an quite an obvious thing. Because part of this desire is discontent. discontent with what we are. And back of this discontent is the urge for power to be something, to fulfill in something. And most of us, caught in this wheel of fulfilment and frustration, and the everlasting battle with self-pity. And ultimately, of course, there is the door to despair. seen all this, not take months, years, days, have a last fling at fulfilment, knowing that it's going to be a misery, and yet keep on at it. something about desire. 
put in the right, gave it the right direction, the right slant, the right aim, the right end. And if one, if the mind, which is conditioned, which is always thinking in terms of achievement, if the mind, with all its compulsions, training, education, and conform, all that, is no longer shaping desire as something apart from its itself, I hope you are following this. If the mind is not interfering, if I can use that word, with desire, then what's wrong with desire? Then is it the thing we have known as desire? You, you follow? Golan says, come with me. See, we have thought of desire as fulfilled, as achievement, as as acquiring, gaining, getting rid. In terms of ambition, in terms of fulfilment, in terms of avoidance, in terms of the more. And when you See the whole of that. Then has desire. Then then the word desire has a different meaning altogether, has it? Or the feeling, which we call desire, has a totally different meaning, has it? You see a beautiful car, a lovely house, a lovely dress. Before there was the identification with that thing or the wanting of that thing. Thing or the idea, ideation. With its fulfillment, frustration, you know, the whole social uh, approach to existence. In which you have been brought up from childhood. You must be better than your brother or your uncle or etc., etc., etc.
when one, when one sees the whole content of this content, and it's fallen away from within your, from your head, then it is desire something which it was. That the thing that we have called desire, with all its corruptions, with its travail, with its miseries, with its suffering, with its impetus, with its enthusiasm, with its interest, all that. And if one has seen the full depth of it, at one glance one can see it. You know, it's like you don't have to get drunk to know what sobriety is. In the same way, if one understands, one one sees one fulfillment completely, it's finished, all fulfillments have ended. Every form of being, becoming, should be something. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth talk, in Madras, 1964, titled In Fulfillment, 
there is contradiction. Desire, which is the response of a, to of a sensation which has been given continuity by thought, seeks fulfilment. And in the various forms of fulfilment, that is contradiction. And out of that contradiction, there is conflict. And where there is conflict, there is effort. So desire breeds effort if we do not understand the whole process of desire. What is desire? And how does that desire continue? We, show, we see how desire arises. Perception, seeing, contact, sensation. Now what gives continuity to desire? That's the problem, that's where we left off the other day. Surely thought gives continuity to desire. That is, I like something. It gives me great pleasure to look at the sunset or to look at a beautiful face or to see a, a man in position, status, with power, money, position and all the rest of it. It gives me pleasure to be in that man's position. I think about that pleasure whether that pleasure be sexual pleasure or a subjective pleasure or an out pleasure caused by outward objects. I think about it. I like your face, you've got a nice smile and your smile, your face is attractive, I like it, I think about it. The more I think about it, the more I give strength to the desire which seeks fulfilment with that person or through that idea or through that object. So thought gives continuity to desire. If there was no continuity to desire, there would be no fulfilment. It would arise and go away. Please follow all this. It would come as a reaction and you must have reaction, otherwise you are a dead human being. It would come a reaction and to that re there would be no continuity to that reaction if there was no interference of thought. You observe it in your own life. You have pleasure, sexual or ordinary pleasure. You think about it. You create in your mind images, symbols, words. And the more you think about it, 
the greater the intensity of that pleasure. And that intensity demands fulfilment. And in that very fulfilment there is a contradiction, because you also want to fulfil in other directions also. So where there is fulfilment of desire, there is contradiction. Please follow on this. And hence to escape from contradiction, from conflict, from the pain of conflict, we say, you say, you must suppress desire. But what is important is to understand not the suppression of desire or the shaping of desire or, to, or the sublimation of desire, but what gives it substance. What gives it the intensity? What gives it the urgency? If that can be understood, then desire has quite a different significance. You observe, when you have a pleasure, you think about it. When you have pain, you also think about it. The thinking about that gives it vitality, gives it strength, gives it a continuity. So one has to go into the question of thinking. If we would understand desire, The fourth extract is from the fifth talk in Ojai, 1982, titled Is Love Fulfillment in Relationship? We are going to talk about together the nature of what we consider love. This has been a question that has existed among the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Hindus, and recently in the Christian world, and the Muslimic, Islamic concept. They've all preached, talked about loving your neighbour, and so on. This has been asserted religiously in all the countries. But apparently we have never come to realise what it is. We talk a great deal about it. Books are written. But we have created a God, or Gods, and we love that God, or Gods. We don't know exactly the nature of that beauty, 
which we ought to, though we went to it briefly the other day, we ought to go into this question very deeply. Is it mere sensory responses, sexual pleasure, Please, as we say, this is not a talk, this is not the speaker asserting any point of view, but we are together examining. Uh, Please, I will repeat over again, together. We are inquiring into this, into the nature of what one calls love. So one must ask oneself whether it is mere sensory sexual responses, which more and more in the Western world, as well, now which is creeping into the Eastern world, it has been turned into pleasure. Is love pleasure? A form of entertainment? A thing which demands some kind of sensory fulfilment? Is it desire? We went into the question of what is desire very carefully. Our desire arises and the demand of its fulfilment. When there is no fulfilment, there is frustration and all the neurotic activities of unfulfilled desire. We meant into that. It would be unnecessary if you come for the first time, and I hope one hopes that you will not mind, if you will not go into it again. So is love desire? If it is, then all the complications, frustrations, the demand of its fulfilment with all the conflicts that arise. So is love conflict? Please, uh, one must repeat this again. You are asking these questions, not the speaker. The speaker is merely pointing out which you are, which you, which you yourself are examining, not merely verbally, intellectually, as a thing of passing by, but actually in daily life. 
is love, a movement which has continuity in pleasure and desire. You are asking the question, and why is it pleasure has become so extraordinarily important in the world? The whole entertainment industry, so-called sports, And they, if you will forgive also the religious entertainment, which is considered sacred, these are the various forms of pleasure. And so one asks, is love a movement, an endless movement of pleasure? Is love attachment, attachment to a belief, to a concept, to knowledge, to a person, or to a symbol? If attachment, in attachment there is fear, all the Agony of not of being alone. So if one sees the consequences of attachment, you one is attached to the country, to the flag, as everyone in the world is doing that. The separative symbolic Flag. Asiatics have their own flags to which they are terribly attached, as in this country, for which you are willing to kill each other, which is what is happening now. And we say that's a principle. Principle that an oppressor, that a country which has become aggressive must be pushed back, and so we are willing to kill others. This has been the old repetition from the most ancient of days. And every religion, the most ancient ones and the recent ones of two thousand years, always said love, do not kill. But our pleasure overcomes this. Edict. So one must 
if one is at all serious in our relationship together, man and woman, the relationship with the rest of humanity, whether they're black, white or purple, whatever colour they be, In in that relationship, why is there so much conflict? Is it that in that relationship we seek security, safety? And this search for security in relationship is that and naturally fulfilment in that relationship is that love so please inquire let's inquire together into this question very deeply if all that is not love the attachments the desire to fulfil, the urge and the fear of being alone, lonely. All that, if all that is not love, like jealousy, hate, arrogance, pride, All that is not love, can it be ended? This is really quite a serious problem. Because we we never end anything. Come to an end. But we want where there is ending? A replacement. If I give up this, what will I have? So the the question of ending a particular problem is really quite important. The ending. Because after all, as we're going to discuss a little later, the ending of life, which is called death, There, you cannot argue, you cannot carry over anything. There is total ending of your memories, attachments and so on. So one should inquire most seriously If there is an ending, not finding a substitution, not demanding a guarantee that if there is an ending of this, will there be that? So we ought to inquire very deeply, as we said, 
can all the things which are false, like pride, arrogance, attachment and the desires, pleasures and so on, which are which obviously are not love, can all that end. Because without love in life, the perfume, the passion, the depth of life, as you know, is lost. Life becomes very, very superficial. Very mundane, worldly, which is what most of the world is becoming more and more. Because we have never found out for ourselves what it is to love another. The final extract in this episode is from the third question and answer meeting in Sanan, 1980, titled Does Creativity Need Fulfilling? Our life is in a turmoil. Our life is constant struggle. Nothing original, nothing creative. I mean, I'm using that word very carefully. The painter, the architect, the uh, woodcarver, he may say, I'm, it is creative. The woman who bakes a bread in the kitchen, kneading it, See, this is creative also. And sex is also creative, they say. So what is creation? What is it to be creative? You understand? The painters, the musicians, Beethoven, Mozart, Bach, and the Indian singers with their devotion. They say we are, that's the act of creation. Is it? We have accepted it. We have accepted Picasso as a great painter, great creator, putting one nose in three faces or whatever it is. I'm not, please, I'm just, I'm not denying it or derogatory anything. I'm just pointing out. This is what is called creation. But if you inquire, doubt, question, is that creativeness? Or creativeness is something totally different. That is, you are seeing the expression of creativeness, right? In the painting, in a poem, 
in a prose, in a statue, in music that is expressed, expressed according to his talent, to his capacity. It may be great capacity or a very small capacity. It may be modern rock or Bach. Sorry to compare the two. They are really quite incomparable, but it doesn't matter. So, and we human beings accept that as creative because it brings you name, money, position. Ah, you are in the same room as the great artist. Right? So, I am asking is that creativity? Can there be creation in the most profound sense of that word as long as there is egotism? As long as there is the demand for success and money and the recognition of that, you understand? Then it is supplying the market. Don't agree with me, please. I'm just pointing out. I'm not saying I know creativity, you don't. I'm not saying that. I say we never question these things. There is a state. You can doubt it, but I'm, it doesn't mean a thing if you doubt it. It doesn't matter to me. I say there is a state where there is creation, where there is no shadow of selfishness. That's real creation, which does not need expression. It doesn't need fulfilment which is myself fulfilling, or that fulfilling. It is creation, 